the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Five one forty. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. This is Tracy Weaver of Risen Life Ministries. I can't think of a better introduction to today's subject than that song, although I'm completely unfamiliar with that tune to that hymn. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? If you are one of God's people, if you are a Christ follower, then you should be one of those people actively engaged in the word of the Lord. I'm joined here in the studio today on this side of the mic and on this side of the video by my wife and ministry partner, Denise. Good afternoon and uh, blessings from the Lord. Amen to that. All right, um, just a quick note. I was blessed. We were at a celebration on Saturday and a listener from the broadcast by the name of Victoria came up to us and she said, I I took the challenge, I heard what you said about the pastors in uh, Nicaragua and Honduras and uh, Guatemala starting to read the scriptures through cover to cover and I'm going to start doing that and my husband's going to start doing that. Victoria's husband, do you know that that's what she said? So (laughs) just so you're aware and that blesses my heart because that's the thing that will cause growth in God's uh, people. And that's, well, I have to talk into the mic, so, okay. Uh, So that's the thing that will cause growth in God's people, and that's the thing that will pave the way for the Holy Spirit's work in people's hearts. Victoria had a couple of practical questions that some of you might also have. She was wondering about maybe a Bible reading uh, chart or guide 
And there's plenty of them out there on the internet, so you can find one that works well for you. But you probably want to be doing some reading each day in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's also different versions, translations of the Bible. And Jim and I actually, some years we trade off and and read different translations because different nuances of meaning come through in different translations. But uh, New American Standard Bible is is one that seems to work well for a lot of people. Uh, The NIV New International Version is another one. If you really want to get into some word study, the Amplified Bible will give every possible meaning of each particular word. So uh, that's not going to be quick reading, but it's also going to help you to dig a little bit deeper. So that ties us in back with um, last Friday's broadcast. That's what we were talking about. It's good to see there's a practical application here in the D.C. area. Now, when you ended the broadcast last Friday... Uh, you mentioned some links about how people could give to help pastors in the Latin American country of Nicaragua to obtain some of the Bible study materials that could be helpful to them as they are pastoring in their sometimes rural villages. We have a project going to provide three basic Bible study materials for them. You Uh, brought them in, I see. Okay. (laughs) thought you might like to actually get to see what we're wanting to provide. The radio folks can't see it. The folks on YouTube will be able to. We have an illustrated Bible dictionary. Uh, This one's put out by uh, Grupo Nelson, or you would know it uh, as the Nelson Publishing. Don't bump the mic. Okay. And then a commentary, a Matthew Henry commentary. So... These are all in Spanish, of course. And then the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. These are three just really basic Bible study materials for pastors. Most of these pastors have none of these. And we want to help them in their ministry. So many of them sacrifice so much in order to be able to uh, be pastors. Most of them are... Uh, working on uh, maybe in a sugarcane field or something, uh, as well as pastoring, and they don't have the means to purchase these books, which are very expensive down there. So we would like to bless them by providing a set of these three books for each of these pastors that uh, Jim is been part of teaching down there in Nicaragua. And we want to go over the links one more time uh, to make sure you have a chance to get that information if you would like it. And also we want to let you know that the organization that you would be giving through, our organization, Bible teaching organization, Finest of the Wheat, is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. And uh, so that might be of interest to some of you. I'm glad you're here because I think I am possibly the world's worst fundraiser. <laughs> I just don't like to do it. But yes, the the background behind the, the story is, is you can find it on bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y slash sacred treasure, all one word, everything's lowercase. And if you really want to give towards the, the pastor's tools, 
the dictionary, the commentary, the concordance. Those are about $105 U.S. through the Bible Society of Nicaragua. We've uh, partnered with them to do this. That's bit.ly, bit.ly slash tools, digit for pastors, tools for pastors. And I thought, just jumping off of that, because of some questions that came up on Saturday, it might be fun to talk about some of the things that we share with the pastors when we're teaching them about hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is uh, a big word. How about a simple definition of hermeneutics? Well, I had to make it simple. You know, I was was saying on Friday that we had, uh, I found out that the the first group of pastors I was teaching had only an average sixth grade education. Right. And, of course, they don't have any of these tools. So in the end, this is what I came up with. And those of you who have a theological background may gasp and say, "But, but you're supposed to include this and that. Well, we have to keep it simple. And the simplicity is that hermeneutics is the science and it's the art of interpreting the scriptures. Now, I call it a, a science because there's certain rules that you have to understand what context is, how to apply these things. And then it's also an art because it takes skill and ability and especially experience in handling the word of God and inspiration from the Holy Spirit to these pieces together and draw out of God's word what's in there. I always tell the pastors who, most of whom have never had a Bible school education, you have the world's most famous Bible teacher living right there in your pueblo, living right there in your town. And they look at me like, who could that possibly (laughs) be? And then I say, El Espíritu Santo, it's the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. But he will also work by some of these rules and uh, principles to help you draw out the truth from God's word. So we, we start there talking about the art and the science, and then we go on to um, explaining what our, what our goals are. And I've got two goals in, these, uh, in this first session that I do with them. I say, look, if you only remember two things— This will be on the exam tomorrow because it's usually a two-day seminar. It usually takes us all day, one day, and like from 8 or 9 to 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And then we usually do an entire morning till around 1 o'clock and that will end the session. Um, So I say, look, tomorrow, here's the exam. I'm giving you the questions. I'm giving you the answers. If you only remember all these two things out of everything I'm teaching, that's good enough for me, and that will get you started. And what's the first question I was asked? And you have to have to ask it in Spanish. What's the first question I asked them to ask? ¿Cuál es su contexto? No, no, ¿cuál es el contexto? ¿Cuál es el contexto? I'm still learning the Spanish. <laughs> okay, what but what mean? is the context? What's the context? What's the context of your reading? And what's one of the definitions we have for context? There's different kinds of context. Jim will explain a little bit more about that. But when you're reading a particular verse in the Bible, you want to think about what is being said in the surrounding verses. What is being said in the surrounding paragraphs and the surrounding chapters? And remember, the Bible was not originally written 
in chapters and verses. Now you're stealing my thunder from well, later in the broadcast, <laughs> but go ahead. The, you, you want to follow the flow of thought, and many times that means you ignore the chapter headings and you just keep going. So you want to see what is the big picture, what is the full picture in which this particular verse uh, shows up in the Bible. As long as you've ruined it all and, and gotten into the subject of chapters and verses, she's right. The Bible, of course, with the exception of specific books like the Psalms, where we've got 150 different separate chapters, separate songs, and it's clear in some of the prophets that there are separate prophecies to this country, that country, the other. But when we're talking about the Gospels and the Epistles and even the, the history in the, in the book of Acts, we're talking a, a continuous narrative or continuous teaching. And it doesn't break up into really neat, clean chapters and verses. Those were added, um, I want to say that there was an Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langston, I think it was, around 1100. Forgive me if I got the date exactly wrong, but it gives you an idea that it's well over a thousand years after the New Testament was written. He broke things up into chapters. And then later on, the, the chapters were broken up into subunits called verses. And so this is a good thing as far as finding things in the scripture. But the problem is that we in the, in the West, we think about little segments of, of truth, factoids. And so we will grab a verse and say, that's it. That's a truth. Now, I, I often start off the seminar, uh, what I call Hermeneutics 101, and I get everybody excited. I say, you know, do you believe the Word of God? Yes, we all believe the Word of God. But these are Latinos. They can get really enthusiastic. <laughs> I say, do you believe the promises of the Word of God? Yes, I believe the promise. Do you believe that everything that the Scripture says is true? Yes, yes, yes we do. Yes. And then, and then, if it's if God says it twice, if the Word of God says it twice, it's like a double witness, isn't it? Yes, Amen. I said, okay. Psalm fourteen one says there is no God, no hay Dios. And Psalm 53 affirms it. Psalm 53, verse 1. No hay Dios. Dead silence. <laughs> and into the dead silence I say, and this is like five minutes into the seminar, I say, all right, that's it. Uh, since the word of God says there's no God. Uh, any questions? All right, let's, uh, we can kind of pack it up and thank you for coming. And, and finally, finally, there'll be one person, just one, one person who will say, who will be thumbing through, it's usually her Bible, because it's almost always a sister who will do this. The pastors, most of them will just sit there dumbfounded. And one, finally, one sister will turn and say, Hermano Diego, momentito. And then she'll begin to say, she'll begin to read all of Psalm 14, mm -hmm. verse 1. <laughs> the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And everybody, there's this great look of relief that passes over everybody's face. And I say, oh, you mean context makes a difference? And then they begin to get the idea. The light is starting to <laughs> dawn how important that is. They realize I pulled their leg, but at the same time, <laughs> they see how easy it is to pull something out of context, mm -hmm. especially when they weren't expecting it. So 
I also talked to the pastors. Denise talked about one definition of context. I'm going to talk about another one in a minute. But I tell the pastors, look, it says quite clearly to leaders, especially to teachers, that you're to rightly divide God's word. And James goes on. Let's see if I can pull that up. James goes on and he says, My brothers, let not many of you be teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, the King James says, or a more severe judgment. Why is that? Because we are saying that what we're teaching right now out of God's word is God's word to you people sitting there in front of this pulpit. And that's a very, I'll call it a fearsome thing. It's, it's awesome because mm-hmm. to say that you are speaking God's truth in Jesus' name and that God has put you up to it, you dare not be sloppy in your interpretation. You dare not be sloppy in your study. You really want to get as close to what the original says as possible. Yeah. And... That's a grave responsibility before God to be faithful to really what he is saying. Yes, and context, too, sometimes eludes them. I don't know if I've not hit the right word in Spanish yet. None of my translators have changed any of this. So I think the first trip to Guatemala, I found a sister wearing one of these beautiful embroidered, um, I hope I've got my, my Indian races straight Mayan Mayan, yes. Mayan uh, you know woven in, uh, embroidered blouses and so I will I will sort of have her stand up um, and I will I will look at like a red thread that's woven in and I'll say oh isn't this an amazing red thread look at this it goes from here to here it's all red it must be made out of this kind of material and I show them, I say, this is just a thread in this whole garment. Mm-hmm. And when I step back a little bit and try to see the context of that red thread, oh, I see it's part of a design of an embroidered flower. And then if I step back a little from the flower, I can see a whole bunch of flowers that are in the design. And then I step back a little further and I see that it's a it's a blouse, a beautifully mm-hmm. embroidered blouse. And those blouses, they, their handiwork is just gorgeous. They're beautiful. And to just focus in on one little tiny thread, you'd miss the entire beauty of that handcrafted creation. And it's like that with God's Word. We don't want to miss the beauty of all that God has given us to understand. And we can miss that whole picture. We can miss the whole blouse if we just are focusing on one particular scripture but not looking beyond that for a fuller understanding of what God really is saying. We can miss more than that, too, because as I as I go through this demonstration, I then step back and I see the woman's entire outfit you know, her, her blouse, if she has a headpiece or something, um, any, any jewelry, her, her skirt, the shoes she's wearing, and I describe all those. I begin to see more context. And finally I say, 
And then I get past seeing the design, I get past seeing the blouse, and I, I see the person inside the clothing. Mm. And ultimately, that is our goal in studying the scriptures. Yes. It's not to become Bible experts. It's not to become doctrinal wizards, although I'm not putting any of that down. I'm just saying that's not the goal. The goal is to see our beloved Lord Jesus in the yes. scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The process, the, the purpose of seeing the scriptures in context is this, that we want to see Christ in all the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So they begin to get an idea of why we're doing this. And so it's on that, that note that I want to just talk briefly about the other definition of, of uh, context, at least as far as hermeneutics is concerned. Once you've seen the, how, how this verse or this passage fits into the paragraph, the chapter, the book, uh, then other things come into play in, with regards to hermeneutics mm -hmm. and context. And those are the influences that are there in terms of the history. You know, it's hard to make head or tail sometimes out of uh, some of the Old Testament passages if you don't know what was happening in, you know, say in Egypt, in Assyria, in places like Nineveh. You know, it helps to know some of the outside history. That's one of the reasons why, as long as we're going to tie this in, that we want these brothers to have a Bible dictionary, for instance. You read about some of these things and places, and with a minimal education, even, dare I say it sometimes, with an American education, these things, are we kind of hit them lightly and say, well, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I don't like history. History is boring, and we skip over it. And then when we come to the scriptures, we don't have that background. So to have these books they can go back to and say, oh, that's where the Assyrian Empire was, or this is where the location of Bethlehem was, or something. It really helps to have that stuff. You were going to say those, something. Well, those of you who are listening, if, if this is stirring an interest in you to try to understand some more of this sort of context, some of the Bibles are study Bibles, and they will have an introduction to each of the books of the Bible that will give some of the historical context to help you understand it as you're reading so that we were mentioning different versions of the bible uh, earlier on there are also different kinds of bibles one of which would be a study bible where you could find some of those bible study helps i have a confession to make after 45 and two-thirds years of marriage i still have your Bible Atlas, your Hammond Bible That's Atlas. That's right, that he does. That I had <laughs> when I went to... When, when you went to Westmont. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for college. I, I liked yeah. it so much that I, I borrowed it and brought it to my office, and it's been there ever since. But you can use it anytime you want. Oh, I just, thank I, you. That's I very kind of you. <laughs> but it's from my first Bible class. <laughs> texts like that are invaluable at, in order to help picture things. All right, well, we were talking about history, but there's also... Well, geography would be another uh, matter you know, how is it, for instance, that geography played into certain battles like Deborah and Barak uh, in, mm -hmm. in the battle there in Judges? If you see the topography, if you see the geography, you'll see how the enemy having to go uphill in their chariots, that was a decided disadvantage and an advantage for Barak and his forces. There's, there's the language. Now, nobody expects these brothers ever to become 
um, Greek and Hebrew experts. I'm certainly not a Greek and Hebrew expert, uh, especially Hebrew. Hebrew is all Greek to me, pretty much. I know. Bad, bad. Well, all right. But if, if that doesn't fry your circuits too much. Okay. Um, but that's another reason for the Strong's Concordance is because mm-hmm. from, from the get-go, when I found out that with a Strong's Concordance, it wasn't just that I could look up any verse I could remember a couple of words from, mm-hmm. but that I could actually go and look at the number and say, hmm, I can look this up in the dictionary and find out what this word. We were talking about a word yesterday uh, at the Sunday service, anomia, uh, which some translations translate as iniquity and others as lawlessness. Well, I can go look that up based on a number it gives me in the strong, and I can get uh, a summary of different ways, nuances of, of the word, and I can also then see how it's used in, in other contexts. I can go through and see how the verses, how the word is used in other verses. So again, these tools, especially for people who won't have a chance to go to Bible college, are really important. Mm-hmm. Then there's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that we really have fun with, we don't actually teach it the first year, we teach it the second year when we go, we take hermeneutics into a specific two-year topic called Woman in the Kingdom of God. And that in and of itself is, is a mind blower. Mm-hmm. Now, what's great about this is um, I, I can teach this as woman in the kingdom of God and teach people hermeneutics along the way, or I can teach it as hermeneutics 102 and 103 <laughs> and teach people what woman's place really is in the kingdom of God, not what we've heard so often. Basically, it's, it's walking them through learning to use these tools these Bible study tools in a particular study, in this case, woman in the kingdom of God, so that they're getting to practice how to use the tools and seeing firsthand the practical application of how valuable it can be to them. We did. (laughs) The first time I taught how to use a concordance, how to use a Strong's concordance, I thought, what can I do that will really blow their minds, that won't make this really boring? And I thought, the Lord just gave me an idea. So I, uh, I decided we would study the two words for love in the New Testament, the, the verbs being phileo and agapeo. And um, so I took several, uh, two verses per three-by-five card, and I passed them out. I did this as, as a strategy. And there was one brother who knew how to use a Strong's Concordance. We made him the arbiter. And he could tell from his strongs if the word being used was phileo or agapeo, just because we, we knew which number went to which word. And so I would have a brother read a verse, and the verse would be something like, the, the Pharisees who love the best seats you know, at, at the wedding feasts. And uh, I'd say, hermano Jorge, what's, the, what's that word? And he'd say, agapeo. And all the pastors yeah. would look at each other like, but, like but I thought Agapet, I thought Agapeo was, you know, the love of God. Yeah. And so we would go through, and then, then we'd find another verse about the father loving the son. And I'd say, hermano Jorge, what is that word? And he'd say, phileo. And all the pastors would look, and they'd say, what? Because what the general stuff that we've been taught, I mean, it all sounds, it sounds... Uh, it sounds erudite, but really, there's other things going on in in the text, and um, well, the the biggest thing in that particular one is 
that Jesus was speaking in, speaking in Aramaic, not Greek. So. Oh, you're talking about John 21. Yes, yeah, so Peter, do you love oh, me? Yes, right, Lord, yeah. I love you. Okay, yeah, so. so we went through all that. Anyhow, they, it sort of turned their, their world upside down as far as that particular teaching was concerned. And um, one pastor, Giovanni, remember yes, him? Okay. Yes, Giovanni's uh, a very sweet, sweet, wonderful brother, one of the pastors. And... Um, he said, and I'm on the eagle. And I, I said, what is it, Giovanni? He said, I can't go back and teach my people this. And when he said that, there's sometimes when somebody speaks for the entire group and you can just see everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, I said, what is it? He said, I can't go back and teach my people this. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, I'm convinced by what we've studied today that, you know, what we've thought about this is, isn't right. It's not complete. But if I go back and teach my people this, they'll think I don't know anything because they all know. And he put it in, I guess these air are quotes. Well, I think these are Spanish air quotes. I don't know. <laughs> that uh, that uh, agapeo means this and phileo means that. Right. And uh, they'll think I don't know anything. And everybody laughed because they were all thinking the same thing. And I said, Giovanni, the point is not to go back and teach on agapeo and phileo. You know, the point is to go back and teach whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart for your people. Mm-hmm. But. Now you know how to do a word study, and now you can see how critical it is to know something about the the Greek words and how illuminating it might be to suddenly catch hold of something in Hebrew or Greek and go, wow, I had no idea that meant that. So anyhow, part of the definition uh, of the culture, we were talking about the culture, imagine all the scenes that you can picture, including the Last Supper, when you realize that nobody in Jesus' time sat upright in chairs at a table like we do, like you've seen in that famous painting of the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. They all reclined, feet away from the table, heads toward the table, sort of uh, leaning on their sides, three to a couch usually, all the way around a low table. Suddenly, it makes it clear how John could lean his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper and say, Lord, who is it? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we realize that the woman who came in to wash Jesus' feet wasn't under the table where nobody <laughs> could see her. She was kneeling mm-hmm. at a place behind Jesus where she was essentially taller, even though kneeling, than everyone else at the table because mm-hmm. they were all laying down. That verb is always to recline in the at least the New American Standard, I know, brings that out. Every time you come to sit or seat, it's always recline or recline. Mm-hmm. And then we talk some about the, prop, the, the purpose of the author. And then one thing we don't cover is um, the, different, the, the different literary styles. That's kind of too far beyond where we're going to go. At some point, I'll probably have a module about that. But it makes a difference in, in interpreting the scriptures, whether we're talking about history or a straight teaching passage or um, just a poetry mm-hmm. or uh, apocalyptic prophetic literature. There's a lot of different things that come into play in understanding that. So that's part of the other definition of, you going to say something? I, I was just going to add that with all the different kinds of Christian teaching that we come across nowadays, and I think it becomes... Uh, widespread much more quickly and easily than it used to because of the internet and this said the woman whose image is going up on YouTube right now (laughs) (laughs) okay go ahead just 
how are you going to know what is true? How are you going to know what's really from God? You've got to go to God's Word. You've got to spend time in His Word. You've got to be very familiar with it. You've got to study it and have a clear understanding of what God says. You can't just trust blindly everything that anybody says. That's kind of like believing all that stuff you see on Facebook, which is, as we all know, is, is uh, you know, a, a crazy thing to do. You don't want to just believe everything everybody says about God or the Bible. You want to go to the Bible for yourself. You want to ask God what he is saying. You want the Holy Spirit to open it up for you. And so learning how to use some Bible study tools, learning how to look a little bit deeper into context helps you to stay grounded and really not get thrown off on sidetracks or rabbit trails as far as what God has been has given to us in his word. You know, maybe I've gotten to the stage in life where I'm one of those cranky old, hey, you kids, get off my lawn kind of people. But I've been now ministering for, what, close to 50 years? Be 50, mm-hmm. well, close to that. And I have to say that in those 50 years, I have noted a marked decline, especially since about 1990, but it probably was going on before then, of a Bible knowledge, just Bible familiarity among Christians. Now, I expect that in the world we're moving into the the throes of being a secular society and people mm-hmm. are, are cut off from what used to be standard knowledge. Okay, I expect people in the world to be like people in the world. Right. I expect non-believers to not know this stuff. But what terrifies me, concerns me, is that over 50 years, I'm watching this rapid decline of God's people. I'm not talking about new Christians. Praise God, new Christians have all kinds of questions, and it's fun and oftentimes mm-hmm. challenging to, to answer them. But for somebody who's been in the Lord for 10 or 20 years to not have a clue about certain important passages in the Old Testament, and I've run into that frequently, that's motivating for me. Other than broadcast like this. I don't have much input in my own native country in the United States, but it blesses me to be able to have that input elsewhere. You were talking too. You know, the other the other thing I say, the, the, you know, I remember I said they have to remember two things. One is that, what, ¿cuál es el contexto? What sí. is the context? And the, oh, yes, it's, <laughs> you're shifting into Spanish here. And the other one is <laughs> that you need to read through the Bible cover to cover. When Paul stands up before the Ephesian elders in his last meeting with them, off the coast of of Asia Minor in Acts chapter 20, he says, I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. And I say to the pastors, that's your job, is to declare the whole counsel of God. But you can't declare the whole counsel of God if you don't know the whole counsel of God. And you can't know the whole counsel of God unless you read the whole counsel Mm -hmm. of God. And because you're men of God, you need to read it cover to cover, and, and women of God, because there are pastoras there. I don't mean to, to leave them out. You need to read it cover to cover every year. That just needs to be part of your spiritual discipline. And I told you how that happened in Guatemala. They picked that up and they've run with that. 
and their examples is shining such a light in places like Peru and Honduras and Nicaragua that that's also happening there. Right. That's exciting. But part of that, I'm going to bring up Mary Beth. Mary Beth is uh, our youngest daughter. I wish I could say young daughter because then I could be the young dad, but that's no longer the case. <laughs> you you parents, especially those of you with, with young children, you will find that your children betray you by getting older. And the the, more, the older they get, the older you get. So as near as I can tell, it's their fault. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless Mary Beth, at one point in her, her career, was a bank teller. And I was thinking about this particular subject, and I, I asked her this question. I said, Mary Beth, how often do you see counterfeit money? Mm-hmm. And she said, Every oh, day. Dad, I see it every day. <laughs> I was blown away. I said, every day? She said, oh, yeah, if it's not my, t- if it's not my till, it's, it's somebody else's. She's, I said, well, how, how do you spot it? She said, Dad, look, I'm, I'm a counter teller all day. I count money out. I count bills out, and I count bills in. I have to touch the money going out mm-hmm. and coming in. So all day long, I am touching real, authentic U.S. currency. And as soon as I touch a counterfeit bill, my fingers know that something is wrong. My fingers know that something's wrong. And so I stop. I stop the count. I go back. I count again until I get to the one that feels wrong. And then I pull it out of the stack and I hold it up to the light or whatever process they use, whatever machine they use to look for certain marks, watermarks, that sort of thing. That proves that it's a counterfeit bill. But the the thing that tells her originally is her fingers. And it's because she touches the real thing all day long. Beloved, you have to touch the real thing all day long, every day. You need to be so familiar with the scriptures that when you touch a counterfeit, then you will know that something's wrong. Now, you can take it out later and examine it and find out against Scripture what the problem is. But until you have gotten to the point where, like Mary Beth, you're handling the real thing every day and you're handling all sorts of bills, that is, you're going from Genesis to Revelation and you're doing it on a regular basis, you can't spot the counterfeit from the real. Or if you do, it will be by chance, by luck, by divine intervention, you need to be familiar enough with the real stuff to be able to feel it and know it and then check it against the reference point, against Scripture. So my daughter taught me that about counterfeit money, and I'm teaching you that about counterfeit truth, which I'll put in, in quotes. Mm-hmm. You were going to add something? What's about Mary Beth? You must have something to add. <laughs> Hi, Mary Beth. I think she's watching this oh, broadcast. Oh, I, I, I forgot, Mary Beth. I'm sorry, but okay. All right, never mind. All right, so that great context of the scriptures, God, you know, this has been a work in progress. There's the scriptures from, call it, 1400 B.C. all the way up to about 100 A.D. God took 1500 years to get you this book, to guide you along with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when somebody takes that long to make a handcrafted gift, for you to leave it 
under the bed, on the nightstand, on the coffee table, wherever it is your Bible is and shouldn't be. I don't even know what to call that other than just that's a shame. Also, think about in our physical bodies, we need food and we need water in order to survive and in order to grow. Babies, children can't grow if they don't have sustenance. Uh, we need air to breathe. There are certain survival necessities. We can't expect in our spiritual lives to grow without spiritual food. So what is our spiritual food? I think that's pretty evident. God has given us his word, which points to the bread of life, Jesus himself. And the Holy Spirit, perhaps he could be likened to the air we breathe. Without his revelation and inspiration to shine on the scriptures and to bring them to life so that they're not just, you know, great literature or something like that, uh, we, we can't grow in our Christian lives to just get saved uh, or come to know God and say, okay, that's great, you know, I've got my life insurance and, you know, I've got my ticket into heaven. That's not what God's idea is at all. He wants us to get to know him. And part of the way we get to know him better is to spend time with him in prayer and to spend time with him in reading the gift of the Bible that he has given to us. This is this is critical, and it should be just a natural part of our Christian life and experience. And sometimes our lives get so crazy busy, we've got to intentionally make time for this to happen. But, you know, you make time for what's really important to you, and you make time to spend with the people who are really important to you. Is your relationship with Jesus really important to you? Then you'll make time to nurture that. You know, on those lines, you know, one of my heroes of the faith is Bruce McKee. Oh, Bruce, yes. Bruce yes. McKee is a man that you will never hear of unless you've been in the Navy and you happen to have been on one of his ships. Bruce, now, you Navy folks, forgive me, I don't have all the terminology right, but Bruce is one of those fellas who is the 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 medic per, medical person you go to on a ship where there's no actual physician. He knows enough to be able to patch you up, sew you up, and when it's beyond his means. And because he is the, he's called in on every emergency where there's injuries. He, he did that full-time Navy, and now he's doing it, I think, as a contract. He's been doing it for 10 years. He's hardly ever home. Uh, I bring that up because... He has to respond to emergencies day and night. Mm -hmm. And he made a pact with the Lord that he would not eat on any day until he had spent time in God's Word. Until he'd had his spiritual, spiritual food. breakfast, and basically. Sometimes emergency is on board ship. He might get called four in the morning. There's a couple of guys injured from this, that, or the other. 
he's treating the wounded, he's sewing people up, he's, I don't know what they do in these clinics, but sometimes he doesn't get free till 10 hours later. So he hasn't had breakfast, he hasn't had lunch. I'd have to think, being a Navy guy, that he has had coffee, you know, <laughs> because they just drink it down straight black and hot. But mm-hmm. other than that, he's had nothing to eat. Only when all that settles down and he's no longer required there, will he sit down, spend his time in God's Word, and then he will go to, to Mass and, and get something to eat. Now, then there's something else. I only yes. found this out later. Do you want to tell this part? We found out years later, after we first knew that this was uh, Bruce's practice, we found out that he is severely dyslexic. And so reading is not a quick and easy matter for him. And uh, any of you who maybe have that, know somebody who does, you know that they have to work much harder at reading. And so uh, that commitment was all the more costly for Bruce because of that. And yet he does it lovingly, cheerfully, joyfully, willingly, because he loves the Lord. And you know that when you spend time with him. I mean, he doesn't even have to talk about Jesus, and you know that there's something different about this man. That's right. Um, I'm I'm always, it's always a pleasure to me to be in his presence just because of who he is. And I won't say his Bible reading made him into that, but I will say the state of heart mm-hmm. that makes him a, a committed Bible reader like that, despite all the excuses he could have, that that state of heart is what has made him more and more like Jesus every time we meet him. Let's see, you know what I want to do? I want to just do one, uh, let's do one example of how context really makes a difference. Because okay. after we lay out all these rules and encourage people to read through the Bible. Then we start to go through from small to really big examples of how understanding the context or a word or a bit of culture or a bit of history can make a huge difference in understanding a passage. And wouldn't you know, I didn't bring my Bible in, but that's okay. Um, we, I, I, you, you that have a Bible there in front of you, go ahead and turn to that famous passage in Ephesians chapter 5. I see a Bible up there. Uh-huh. Thank you, <laughs> Brother Ray. I don't know what translation this is, so we will just take... By the time we got through carrying all the books in and the computers and setting up all the equipment... Oh, right, we're going to talk about the Bible, and I forgot to bring my Bible. Um, we won't mention that. All right, I'm in Ephesians 5. Famous passage. You all know it. And... Verse 22, little wives, submit to yourself, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then drop down a couple of verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I did a lot of pastoral marriage counseling. And um, oftentimes the the basic thing was when a couple would come in, they'd come in with Bible at hand and the, you boiled down the essence, and it was, you know, Pastor, my husband doesn't love me as Christ loved the church. And from the husband, I hear, my wife won't submit to me. And you just think, I've, I've been tempted at times to grab a pair of scissors and just cut 
certain verses out of the husband's Bible and certain verses out of the wife's Bible and say, look, this is written to your other half. You pay attention to the part that's written to you and let them worry about the part that's written to them. So people are going to wonder, what is this story about it? Oh, I have to tell that too? Okay. (laughs) Context. Context is really important because we were talking about this in the... As, a, as some sort of a rabbit trail yesterday, maybe it's because it was on my mind for this. If you go back just one verse, just one verse mm-hmm. before wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, Paul says, submitting yourselves one to another, each other, all over in the fear of Christ. Now, let me go back and, and catch even a bigger context. So yes. anyhow, the, the smaller context is that... Paul says, everybody submit to everybody else in verse 21. And then wives submit husband's love, which real love is a a kind of submission, a a real and true kind of submission. But then one of the worst, worst placed chapter breaks in the history of Bible division comes at the end of verse 33. There should be no chapter six. Paul didn't write chapter six. If you cross that out, then we get four other kinds of this mutual submission. Children obey. And then fathers provoke not your children. Servants be obedient to your masters or employees to employers. And then masters don't, you know, submit to your 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 slaves. Owners, employers, you know, look to the good, submit to the good of those who serve you. So Paul gives six different examples of submit yourselves uh, one to another another. but then there's a greater context you see the more you step back there's an even greater context can you imagine people can you imagine people in the natural saying oh yes i'm going to submit uh, to to everybody if you go back all the way to let's see most Verse people 18. Would, most people would say, uh-huh, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's really going to happen. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. Yes. Uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. For example... Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And so on down the list. But you see, the context is not trying hard or trying to get my wife to submit or my husband to love or whatever. The context is, I have to be filled with God's mm-hmm. Spirit. Yes. And that makes me full of worship. That makes me full of love. And, and that love makes me able to submit to, to each of the other people. And then... In my marriage relationship, in in my relationships at work with children, with parents, ah, uh, then we have mm-hmm. something. There's the context. Those of you who have been hit over the head with wives submit or husbands love, there's a greater context that these aren't laws; these are outworkings of what happens when people mm-hmm. get filled with the Spirit. Quickly, since we're running out of time, just let me say this. There are all of these examples in, in the Gospels of the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, oh, can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? Or worse, sending mom to do it. 
you know. Yeah. Would you grant me a favor? What is that? Well, I want my boys, you know, one to be at your right hand, one to be at your left hand in your kingdom. Can I see if they can cash in on a favor? <laughs> and then, then they're still doing it at the Last Supper. That blows my mind and breaks mm-hmm. my heart. Except I know if I had been there, I might have been one of them. All right? What happens? And Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit. Well, you know, when you read the Bible a lot of times, some things get pointed out because you don't see them. And one of the things you don't see in the book of Acts is you never, ever see this self-preference thing again. Once these apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's never a, I'm first, I want to be on the right hand, I want to be on the left hand, because something has happened and now they're walking in mutual submission and love. If if this is new to you, that something is in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And read it, and you'll see what a life-changing thing happened to those disciples when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Well, that's it. You've been able to sit in on just a little bit of a hermeneutics course, just tiny bits of what we teach in Latin America. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Mm -hmm. If you want those links, they will be in the show notes. They're also in Friday's show notes. I won't bother to read them out because I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, We started out by saying Victoria and and her husband just had something move in their heart and said, that's me, I need to do that. I need to make that commitment, not because it's a legalistic thing to do, but because I love Jesus and because I want to know his word and because I want to know the truth that you've given us. And the only way to do that is to have the entire context of Scripture cover to cover, gone through on a systematic and regular basis. Lord, I ask that there be many other Victorias out there, many other brothers and sisters who say, Lord, that's me. I need to read through the scriptures so that you can speak to me and bless me. This has been Jim and Denise Kerwin from Finest of the Wheat Teaching Fellowship filling in for Ray Greenlee on Pilgrim's Progress. The Lord bless you and make you into lovers of Bible reading. And more importantly, Lovers of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before the presence of his glory with great joy. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>